What's up, Mapcasters? R Bar with the drive time here. It's time for another book review. So I just finished reading Brene Brown's Daring to Lead. It's her 2018 book. And so the title is Dare to Lead. Brave Work, Tough Conversations, Whole Hearts. And so this book is about two topics that she reflects on all the time, courage and vulnerability. This is what Dr. Brown is known for. So from a recovery ministry perspective, from my ministry perspective as a chaplain and as a, as a pastoral counselor, I think this book can be interpreted as an exhortation on faith, that's daring to lead, um, sanctification, that's the brave work part, and confession, which is what she calls tough conversations. And, and I also think it can be um, about restoration. That's what she talks about, whole hearts. Now, if you listen to the audiobook like I do, the, the format follows, it, it allows listeners to, to hear the behind the scenes of her grounded uh, theory research. So she, she does a great job of candidly explaining. She's very vulnerable and transparent. She mentions the good, the embarrassing, the ugly, and, and gives real life experiences. Now, Dare to Lead is no pie in the sky theoretical framework. It's, it contains real examples of what she calls daring leadership. And Dr. Brown's version of, at the outset of her book, she says, picture the audience naked. Um, and when she does it, she metaphorically pictures the audience naked. That, that means when she looks at people, she doesn't see their titles, accomplishments, positions. She pictures what someone would look like in her mind's eye as a vulnerable child. Now, just like Dr. Brown has this perspective on seeing an audience, and she's set free from fear of man. I experienced something very powerful that changed my own outlook, and it occurred right, right after I became fully known by, in my marriage and in my church small group. So what happened to me is I began seeing others without their titles, their accomplishments, if they were, if they were epic athletes or if they were very popular. I, I saw right through that. And especially when I got in the momentum of helping people find lasting freedom from destructive behaviors. As a counselor, as a pastoral counselor, a chaplain, I increasingly became more fearless the more I saw and I heard raw stories and I heard people's fearless moral inventories. As you see, like the, the AA, people in recovery will, will resonate with what I'm saying here. I, I heard people's raw stories and I started to realize something in my own journey and, and, and that's this, it became my motto that um, I no longer fear people because my job as a daring leader myself, I've met way too many people who let me all the way in to know that there could be someone else who's not like the rest of us, broken and in need of healing and restoration. That's my thing. So that's my mantra, and that, that keeps me living courageously and free from the fear of man. So what Dr. Brown calls daring leadership is from my perspective, describing the abundant life, what Jesus is explaining in John 10.10. 10. And it's, it's, it can also be called human flourishing. And the Jews often refer to this, they have referred to this as shalom. So Brene Brown writes this book for leaders, for quote unquote leaders. But you know what? This concept applies to anyone who's, takes, who's taking responsibility for investing in people. Now I'm going to read a quote from the book. Quote, she says, one of the most important findings of my career is that daring leadership is a collection of four skill sets that are 100% teachable, observable, and measurable. It's learning and unlearning that requires brave work, tough conversations, and showing up with your whole heart. Easy? No. 
because choosing courage over comfort is not always our default. Is it worth it? Always. We want to be brave with our lives and our work. It's why we are here, end quote. Dare to Lead plays a significant role in the design of my own faith-based recovery workshop for service members because it targets leadership. My workshop specifically targets military leadership. I think one noticeably common misconception among military leaders is that I've observed that counseling services or personal growth retreats are often seen as that for the junior enlisted personnel and not for the staff commission officer or higher up officers. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that counseling and personal growth retreats are relevant for every single member in the unit regardless of rank or designator. The faith-based model proposed in my own work and my own research is intended for every unit chaplain. I don't care if you're Army, Navy, Air Force. It's intended for the chaplain to, to, to implement for every member of the unit, from the commanding officer down to the E1, the private first class, the, the, the seaman recruit, no matter what. My proposal combines Dr. Brown's research on the power of vulnerability and a biblical theology of confession and repentance in the midst of gospel-centered community. It's got to contain those three things. Confession, repentance, and gospel-centered community. Um, over the years, my research has demonstrated that vulnerability, what Brown talks about, and confession are two critical elements that enable service members to find lasting freedom from destructive behaviors and, and the healing that they need from past trauma and moral injury. I've been studying this topic for five years. Been as an ethnographic researcher, I've sat in many, many workshops. Those are the two critical elements. Confession and vulnerability. And Dr. Brown gives a challenge to all leaders, and her, her, her challenge is that of humility. She encourages people, don't pretend like you know everything, and be humble enough to assume the role of learner in conversations versus the knower. In New Testament language, James gives the command to be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's James 1.19. And I think it's necessary to challenge all military leaders in this area because there's a direct correlation, in, from my perspective, in every organization with rank and isolation. So it seems like the more senior, the more higher up, the more a person climbs up that, that ladder, the more chances they have to feel um, superior to their well, subordinates and then detached which in turn can create a sense of loneliness and isolation. So I, I've often said this, emotional insulation and isolation are choices that are rooted in deception. You have to believe a lie before you become isolated. Some sort of deception. Um, in worst cases, fear leading to emotional isolation and, and insulation turns into depression, and then and only then does it turn into suicide-related behavior, suicide attempts, and it always happens in that order. The heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. So let's talk about uh, suicide amongst high-ranking military leaders. Okay, uh, for, for military leaders who choose to commit to suicide, instead of choosing vulnerability and leaning into courageous conversations with mentors, with peers, with subordinates, as Dr. Brown suggests, these leaders at some point in their career choose some sort of toxic shame that turns them inward. Hence, in the wake of their suicide, the people who knew them often are left feeling a little discombobulated, believing that they, quote, had it all. 
So in December 2018, um, an active duty Navy Admiral died in what was initially published in the news as an apparent suicide, because they didn't know. Later on, reports would confirm that the cause of death was suicide. This is a three-star Admiral. Afterwards, I had the privilege um, and the opportunity to meet with over two dozen of his former employees and subordinates, and they all shared a similar confusion as to why in the world he would kill himself. Most of them mentioned his success, his military accolades, and his wealth. They, they would say things like, man, he had it all. And it's typical with, with the success of any flag officer, nobody saw him, nobody saw him as a man who was in need of some sort of inner healing. Nobody saw him as broken. They saw him as a, as a strong and courageous leader. And maybe this is because of rank and position, but, but nobody questioned how he was handling the burdens of command and the downside of having no peers close by. And, and we know that the higher up you climb in an organization, the more isolated you can become. And it's safe to say that their understanding of a strong leader did not include moral courage, confession, and heart renovation, and all the things that Dr. Brown recommends in her books as far as daring leadership. And I wonder if anybody ever approached him and said, hey man, how's your heart? Admiral, how's your heart? Tell me how you're struggling with X, Y, and Z. And moreover, it was apparent that, that achievement and awards were only views as a sign of strength. Nobody said, hey, this person climbing up, he's got a lot of perfectionism and drivenness. Maybe I should ask him. Maybe I should ask him a daring question. Like, what drives you? So daring leadership calls out perfectionism as a destructive behavior. It's completely the opposite. In the, in the military, um, leaders often see someone who is rising to the top, rising to the, be the cream of the crop, and they never see it as something that could be possibly destructive. But Dr. Brown says this, quote, wherever perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun. In fact, Brown draws a direct correlation between perfectionism and shame. She, she says this, quote, perfectionism is a function of shame, end quote. So what that means is attaining high levels of leadership in the military in an incredible amount of time, you know, like in an unordinary amount of time, could be seen, in my, in my opinion, as a destructive behavior. It doesn't always have to be, but if someone's very successful, very driven, I think of like Olympic athletes like this, like if you're the best in the world at something, then, then like, like uh, I don't know, I'll just pick a celebrity, like a, like a David Goggins. At some point, someone needs to ask someone who is driven like that, breaking records and, and incredible feats, like, what's driving you? What's driving you? Um, it's always the, the service members that got caught for driving under the influence, alcohol-related incidents, drug abuse, getting overweight, getting obese, sexual assault, domestic violence, or some sort of suicide-related behavior that, that receives the negative spotlight. Those are the... Those are the activities that are seen as destructive behavior but what I think Dr. Brown is doing and what I'm doing as well is calling out anything could be a destructive behavior perfectionism and drivenness to be at the top those are my destructive behaviors just just to be um, candid here so Brown says this perfectionism is addictive end quote so the argument could be made and it's often made that perfectionism and, and driven service members are force, force multipliers in the unit. But Brown wouldn't consider them daring leaders. Perfectionistic leaders actually hinder the growth in an organization. 
where perfectionism is praised, the culture is susceptible to fostering destructive behaviors, such as suicide-related behaviors. So what we're, we're calling people to do is to call, just to keep your eyes open and see what drives people. It doesn't matter if it's drugs or if they're addicted to degrees or ribbons or, or promotions. We need to be able to see both as potentially destructive. Let's talk about some fundamentals of freedom from destructive behaviors. Like, well, how, how do people get free from these type of destructive behaviors? Uh, the first steps of freedom from destructive behaviors is, as, as Dr. Brown would recommend and myself, vulnerability, confession, and heart restoration. Now, as a pastor, Scripture promises that leaders who regularly engage in these activities, confession and repentance in the midst of the community, avoid the buildup of roots that lead to bitter fruit. Romans 10, 9, and 10, we talked about confession and about, uh, about salvation from stuff that happens here on earth. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord. You'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, from that you'll be saved. It's a phase two type salvation. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about uh, a phase two salvation here on earth, like a sanctification type salvation, a present tense salvation. But it comes through confession of the mouth. The vulnerable person remains exposed in their weakness when they confess things uh, in which in turn prohibits that weakness or that root from, from growing and gaining power. Here's the thing. When roots remain hidden and underground, they grow stronger and stronger to the point where they can break the foundation of a house. So in the dissertation that I'm currently writing, the proposal of my workshop is called uh, Freedom Vision. It allows, it's, it's tailor-made for service members seeking lasting, lasting freedom from destructive behaviors. For them, for people to spend a day of uprooting negative thoughts that lead to behaviors that are destructive. There's a desperate need in the military to foster a culture of true masculinity via vulnerability and humility. Military leaders need to repent from the idea that that being vulnerable and and attending like freedom workshops is weakness. We have we have to stop that. It's not weakness. In fact, Brown says this quote: "There isn't a shred of evidence that vulnerability is weakness." End quote. Dr. Brown's proposal for daring leadership is one of the foundations for for freedom vision for the workshop I'm designing for service members. The workshop proposes that the, that the chaplain's ears are graves, right, where people can bury their problems and begin healing or continue the healing process. Dr. Brown teaches that empathy is it's not about fixing people. It's the brave choice to be with someone in their darkness, not to race to turn on the light because we feel uncomfortable, not to race to turn up, flick on the lights so that we feel better. Military leaders can benefit from, from daring leadership by learning fundamentals of empathy and embracing awkward silence. This is one thing that not just military leaders, but we can all learn to sit in the awkward silence. Not to rush to try to fix someone. Like my message, listen to me, um, senior enlisted staff commissioned officers, officers. When, when we want to fix someone, oftentimes, premature advice giving is the number one killer of authentic relationships. Nobody wants to be preached at. 
and it's taken me a dozen years of observation to show me that the majority of well, senior people, do they do more talking than listening, which is opposite of what Dr. Brown is recommending in her book. By, by default, most senior enlisted and officers assume the role of teacher slash mentor and few embrace the the Brown proposal of, of the learner mindset, the person who asks a lot of questions. Now, I'm not saying all, but I'm saying a lot of leaders do. I've met amazing leaders who ask more questions and they listen more than they talk. And it's always an amazing thing to run into someone like that. Now, teaching young service members to acknowledge their hurt versus demanding they clean up their act or stop it is, that's, that's some daring leadership right there. You can role model it. Uh, Brown says this, quote, it's easier to be angry or pissed off than to acknowledge hurt, end quote. And in my research of specialized communities, such as like the infantry community, I've done some ethnographic research there, or special operations forces, uh, SOF, you know, the, the uh, special operators, it reveals a similar type of masculinity that lacks embracing vulnerability and confession. Those two the communities specifically, like infantry or special ops, and, and what I want to encourage those two communities is that Dr. Brown writes that most men do not know how to explain their emotions that take place in their heart. She says this, uh, quote, when we are feeling at edge, instead of asking ourselves, what's the quickest way to make these feelings go away? We should be asking this, what are the feelings and where do they come from? We got to teach people how to do this. And if they, if they grasp this concept, then they're going to be, we're going to be raising a, a, a stronger generation of, of military personnel. There'll be a, people who get in touch with their emotions, who can, who can sift through them, aren't going to be running to destructive behaviors. They're going to be able to cut these things off at the root so it won't bear fruit in domestic violence, getting drunk, getting driving into the influence, alcohol-related incidents, so on and so forth. Now, even in the general communities, the military communities, there, there's some major trends. Workaholism is a strong theme in the Fleet, Navy, and the Marine Force. Um, I'm actually driving back to my office right now, and it is 2100, roughly, for you civilians. That's 9 p.m. I bet there are people there right now working. And, my, and it's always the same, right? I stick my head in the office and I go, what the heck are you guys doing here? Oh, got to work, sir. Got to, got to, there's a lot of work to do. And, and true, granted, there is a lot of work, but workaholism um, is a sign that daring leadership is not taking place. Now, I'm not talking about long hours that's necessary for actual missions. But I'm, re I'm referring to the mindset that working late is a, is a sign of dedication to the institution. It's not a, it's not a sign like neglecting family and, and staying way later than you need to. So service members priding themselves on coming in super early and staying super late when unnecessary, um, that's not a good sign. So one of, the, one of the objectives in my workshop, Freedom Vision, is to help service members connect their workaholism to the roots of the worship of approval, the worship of power, the worship of comfort, and the worship of control. 
those people who are workaholics who believe they, they have to work long hours in order to gain approval from others, they're just simply deceived. Like if someone didn't get approval from their dad and work boss supervisor became their new dad that they're trying to get approval from, of course they're gonna work long hours. They want that approval, they want that pat on the back. And what Dr. Brene Brown says is that the daring leadership response to workaholism is rest and time off. Like transitioning. Like when work is over, work is over. You leave the uniform in the closet. You, you go home and you get ready for your, for your true job, which is being a dad, being a husband, uh, being a good roommate, being a whatever. I wanna share this quote. Uh, by Dr. Brown, quote, the daring leadership response to exhaust, exhaustion and productivity as self-worth is modeling and supporting rest, play, and recovery. That's daring leadership right there. She goes on to say, lack of downtime and play has a deleterious effect on our output in the office. So people who work hard, but they don't know how to play hard, well, they're actually being counterproductive. So let's wrap this up here. Um, Daring to Lead contains several fundamental elements that contribute to my workshop, Freedom Vision, which advertises that my workshop is, is all about a compassionate response to service members seeking lasting freedom from destructive behaviors. So in my workshop, every prayer contained in the workshop includes elements of confession and thanksgiving. And what one outcome of the workshop is that service members develop a practice of gratitude. Not, not simply an attitude of gratitude, but a daily practice, a daily confession of gratitude and practice. Brene, uh, Brene Brown says the same thing. She says this, quote, what is the one thing that people who can fully lean into joy have in common? Well, it's gratitude. They practice gratitude. It's not an attitude of gratitude, but an actual practice. They keep a journal. They make it a, a bit of a, they make it a habit of what they're grateful for um, what they're grateful for, yeah, end quote. So, a Fabcasters, daring leadership is for everybody. Not just, it's for everybody in the military, it's for every people, all people in society. Not for those who just have rank, it's not just those type of leaders who have a positional authority, but all people can engage in daring leadership by role modeling the principles proposed in this book. It's for those who want to do the brave work of sanctification, have uh, tough conversations called confession, and for those who have a desire to have a restored heart. All right, I hope you buy the book, Daring, uh, Daring to Lead, and I hope it has an impact on you that's had on me. So, talk to you later. Peace.